Hello and welcome to Modern Intuition Podcast with your host, Olivia Scott. In this podcast, we talk all things intuition, spirituality, manifestation, and the road to uncovering soul purpose. I will be chatting with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, business owners, and industry experts to hear their road to creating success and how intuition has played into that journey. We uncover practical tools and inspiration to use in our own modern day lives to create our own version of happy, high vibration living in alignment with our true authentic self. If you love today's episode, I would love it if you would share it with a friend, leave me a review or connect with me on Instagram and let me know what you think. Today's episode is brought to you by Eve Health, at home hormone testing. I am personally so passionate about women taking control over their hormones. So how does it work? You can purchase your test online from www.evehealth.com and then you collect a urine sample from the comfort of your own home. After sending your sample to the lab, Eve scientists will analyze your results and a health consultant will put together your report complete with diet, lifestyle and nutritional recommendations based on your unique body. Listeners to this podcast can access an exclusive 15% discount off your Eve test. Just visit www.evehealth.com and enter the code INTUITION at the checkout. That's I-N-T-U-I-T-I-O-N. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode with Danny Robinson. I loved speaking to Danny. She's an incredibly inspiring human and I know you guys are going to get a lot out of this episode. She went through some struggles early on in life after losing her best friend to suicide at 16 and went on a journey to really recover from that and she shares how she discovered the way she wanted to really live life. She shares so many practical tips on not just wellness and mindfulness but biohacking lifestyle nutrition and also the importance of figuring out your morals and where your boundaries lie danny was the first runner-up of the first series of the bachelor and we discuss what that journey was like for her and what life was like afterwards and readjusting to normal life with half of the country interested in your love life (laughs) Since then, she has gone on to create a successful, sustainable company based in the UK, and somehow she manages to balance this business alongside another full-time job working for her family business. And she also inspires people to live healthier, happier lives through her social media platform. I hope you love today's episode, but before we dive in, I just wanted to share quickly. Last night, I hosted my first manifestation and journaling workshop at Breathe Space in Parnell in Auckland, which was so awesome. It sold out really quickly, and I know a few people missed out on tickets, so I've decided to host another one in October. Dates are still to be confirmed, but if you're interested in attending this workshop and you're in Auckland, Make sure you're following me on Instagram at lovebyolivia underscore just to stay in the loop with upcoming workshops and events. 
But if you aren't in Auckland or New Zealand and would still love to understand this process and the importance of journaling for manifestation, I've actually created a workbook which is available on my website www.lovebyolivia.com. It's called Clarity, 55 Journaling Prompts for Creating Your Dream Life. Journaling is incredibly important for releasing clutter, clearing blocks and clearing space for authentic manifestations to come through. And for podcast listeners today, I have a special coupon code intuition20 which will give you 20% off the normal retail price you can print the workbook out and keep it on your bedside for journaling prompts before bed or you can take it with you to lunch to have it work for some mental time out I really love the workbook because no matter where you're at in life the journaling prompts will be always relative so you can use it now and then come back in and check in in three months time and you'll have new answers as you continue to grow and evolve and it's something that you can take with you. But without further ado, introducing you to the lovely Danny Robinson. Well, welcome Danny. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining. I met you when you came in for a healing with me. Yes. Since I've gotten to learn your story a bit more, you were the runner-up in the very first series of The Bachelor yes. New Zealand and you are also involved with the with a sustainable business. We were just speaking before the podcast around how Danny's family uh, started a business or very, very big company now fifty years ago. Your grandfather started it. Yes. Um, called Ortex. Yes. Creating sustainable plastic products. Mm-hmm. Is that right? You also have a business based in the UK. Are you able to speak a little bit about that? Yeah, so I started Green Group Collective about three years ago now. And it basically, it's kind of evolved into a bit of a hub for New Zealand um, products. I try and keep them on the same theme of being either sustainable, natural, or just like consumer conscious products. So forward thinking products. And basically, I give... New Zealand businesses who might not have the capital to get their products to the UK, um, a channel or a distribution um, opportunity um, for me to sell their products over there. So Green Group Collective, the website has become kind of like a go-to store for um, British people to buy New Zealand products. Mm. Do you find that a lot of Kiwis in the UK are actually purchasing from that website? It's hard to tell. You can kind of get an idea um, on social media when you get comments or messages a lot of Kiwis being like, can you bring this product over? I've been following you for a while and um, I love that I can now get this product over here. So um, you definitely find out through communicating with customers, yeah. but um, it's so hard to tell just from the website. But we get a lot of European customers as well, which is cool. Well, I had a look at the website this morning. It's beautiful and you've got yeah. the vibe is um, very clean and very New Zealand and that's appealing to the international market, especially Europe. So yes. that makes sense. Yeah. So you work a full-time job working for Ortex, your family company. Mm-hmm. You run that company. Mm-hmm. Um, you also run a platform on social media which is really focused around health, fitness and lifestyle. Yes. How much time does that take up for you? Um, to be honest, I try not to let it take up my time. I try and keep it pretty organic. Um, so I think people will notice I sometimes go through phases where I post a lot and sometimes I don't. And I don't want to post um, too much superficial, too, yeah, too much 
forced things so um, I try and keep it pretty organic so if there's something that I'm doing or a brand I'm working with or um, a thought and feeling or something that's going on I will definitely use the opportunity to share it but I don't go out of my way to create too much okay. content yeah totally I think that's really important when you've got an audience that they they like you because you're authentic and when you're actually genuinely excited about sharing they'll see that but yeah then they also see if you're kind of just talking for the point of talking rather than being genuinely yeah. excited about it so exactly and I, I get approached to work with brands a lot and nine times out of ten I say no because it's not relevant if a brand comes along and it's quite relevant to my lifestyle at the moment then like and, and I love the brand then I will work with them and work it and work with them in a way that it comes across as authentic because it is exactly. there's, there's so many yeah I think people don't realise how much like I don't know if everyone does this but brands will approach you all the time to work with them and you're like no 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 yes because you're with an agency right and yes okay and I'm sure there's a lot of opportunities with you having been in the public eye that everyone kind of just wants a little piece of that and they want to access your um, audience. Yes. Which comes with being in the public eye. Yes. Which is something I want to dive a lot more into soon. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you were like as a child. So as a child, I have a twin sister called Michelle and um, we kind of growing up bounced between New Zealand and Australia about three or four times while my dad was setting up um, Autex in Australia. So I went to three different primary schools, um, which sounds like it would be hard, but I had Michelle, so I always had, I always had a friend. I always had like a sense of home, so um, I actually didn't find it that bad. Um, majority of my primary school was in Melbourne, so um, I grew up there and... Yeah, it was really, I really enjoyed being there. I moved back to New Zealand beginning of high school, um, so I had a very strong Australian accent. Um, got rid of it pretty fast, I've got a pretty strong Kiwi one now. Do you find that when you speak to Australians it comes back really oh, quickly? Oh god, yeah. If I go over there even for a weekend and hang out with my mates, I'm like, <laughs> straight oh, back into yeah. that was so hectic, like, go straight <laughs> back into my Aussie accent. Um, I actually grew up in Australia and I went yeah. to five primary schools oh, and wow. it, it happens to me as well. Yeah. I even, if I'm speaking to someone on the phone with an Australian accent, even if they're in New Zealand, I start speaking like them. So yeah. It takes three seconds it straight does. back into it. It does. Um, I just didn't like the attention when I moved back to New Zealand, so mm. I didn't want that to like be the reason people wanted to be friends with me because they were like, oh, the Australian chick. So yeah. I was like, oh, I need to get rid of this really quick. Um, I went to high school, I went to Kristen in Albany, um, and I loved school, loved, loved, loved school. Um, I have played basketball at a really high level for many years. Um, I stopped playing when I was at uni, um, and I also have been involved um, in musical theatre since I was about five as well, so um, that kind of basketball, musical theatre were kind of like consumed a lot of my time growing up and then put a lot of hours into those yeah. wow mm. and so strength training both in mental and physical mm -hmm. ways yeah do you okay so how where what were you doing in your early 20s so in my early 20s so I went to Otago uni for the first couple of years of my study 
um, which was pretty wild, like definitely. I was probably, I don't know if it was a good or a bad place for me to be. Um, my last two years of high school was were quite like traumatic for me and I kind of didn't really know, wasn't very secure in myself. I didn't really know what, who I was or who I was meant to be friends with or if people even liked me or if I even liked me. Um, I definitely like used to drink a lot in those years. So going to Otago was kind of like, I kind of thought I could reinvent myself down there, but I kind of invented a version that I didn't actually quite like. So when I was 20, I moved back up to Auckland um, and transferred to AUT. Um, and yeah, I continued my studies up here and I think started to like figure myself out a little bit. It was definitely the early 20s were like figuring out who I was and what I cared about and what my morals and boundaries and stuff were. So that's actually a really early age to be going through all of that. Yeah, well, I had to grow up quite quickly. Um, two of my best friends passed away within eight months of each other when I was 16. So it was like this quite like a, I hadn't known anyone to die before, so it was kind of like a wall, like this has happened to me, you see it happened to other people, mm. but it was happening to me and it kind of made me grow up really quickly. Yeah, death does do that. Yeah. Um, what, were they accidents or were they illnesses? So my first one was my best friend from when I was growing up in Australia and she went to Thailand and she got um, sick in Thailand and came back to Australia and ended up passing away. It was kind of like a flu. Um, they still don't really know what happened. They think it could have been um, a strain on her heart or there could have been some underlying issues with her heart maybe, but it was it was quite um, hard because we didn't really know what had happened. Um, and then the second one was my friend Amelia who committed suicide. Um, and she, well, I found out only probably two or three weeks before she passed away that she was struggling with it. Um, because she had attempted it um, then but, but prior to that no idea and this was someone who was with me every day we played basketball together we went to school together she stayed at my house every weekend just had absolutely no idea wow so, and she was 16 yes yeah suicide can when it's someone close to you you almost are like if I had done something differently would she have done that or yeah. if I knew earlier or if I did something yeah. It's quite a hard it's quite hard not to blame yourself or at least go through yeah. those emotions of thinking that you could have changed something. Oh, hundred percent. And I, I had quite a lot of delayed grief. Um when I was about twenty two, twenty three I got diagnosed with PTSD and a lot of that was due to what happened with Amelia. Um and even today I struggle with feeling good enough or feeling like I'm yeah good enough or um worthy enough for people um because you know if your best friend does that it's quite and you're such an integral part of their life it does can make can actually impact your self-worth and I've only really started recognizing that since I got yeah since someone actually gave me an answer for why I was feeling the way I was feeling or why I had anxiety or um why I had certain health issues as well. I had a lot of really, really bad um, like acid reflux and um, yeah, like indigestion for years to the point where I'd have to sleep sitting up because my throat would be like burnt from all the acid reflux and not actually realising that everything's connected 
how you're mentally feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that acid reflux is a representation of not being able to accept things. Oh, okay. So they yeah. come back out. Things come back out because yeah. they, they don't feel safe to sit, and that might not be the same as yeah. you. I've heard that's often been relevant for people who struggle for things to be as as they are or in relation to self-worth as well yeah well everything if I have any stress or anxiety in my life it all affects my digestive system mm. like that's the one thing that I physically feel when I'm stressed or anxious is like my digestive system changes mm. and I can definitely feel it whether it's bloating or like constipation or, mm. or reflux or indigestion or anything like that I can definitely I know that's when my body's like you're stressed you're anxious you need to relax yeah yeah well, it's, it's one thing knowing that that's what's going on. It's another thing actually being able to pull yourself out of those places yep. as well. Yeah. Do you have, what do you do when you get to that place of being stressed or anxious and you can feel that the, your digestive system is closing down or struggling? Yeah, it's hard. I still struggle this day to be able to pull myself out of an anxious or stressful situation. Um, someone once told me that stress is a reaction and you can choose how you react to a situation so you can choose to look at a situation with stress or you can choose to look at it with calmness um, and you can actually make that choice and I really like that because I like being in control and so sometimes I literally you know when people say well just don't be stressed just chill out sometimes that's actually yeah but they're actually right sometimes you actually yeah. just need to pause and be like stop it just take a deep breath and just stop it, like, because it's not helpful. Um, so to be honest, that's what I kind of do. I have to check in with myself, remove myself from a situation and be like, you're not helping yourself by being anxious or stressed. How can we approach the situation from a different angle? Um, is the world going to crash and burn from this? No. Um, will the company crash and burn if you have to take a day off to chill out? No. Will your friends judge you if you're having a hard day and you just need a big cry and a glass of wine? No. So why not use these tools that are around you? Take a day off. Go have a glass of wine with your friends. Go take your dog for a walk. Vent to your partner. Like There's so many options in which you can choose instead of dealing with like just sitting with your own stress. Just about being proactive, I think. Totally. And we, I know... Often we don't want to burden other people. Yeah. So it's that... Oh, That's definitely me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we don't want to make our problems other people's problems. And we know that they've got a lot going on. We don't want to, you know, pour our own insecurities out. Because yeah. we have to, the first thing that requires vulnerability. And secondly, sometimes we don't actually even want to relive or experience our stress. Because it just makes it feel like it's more of a real thing. We want to pretend it's not there. And we want to brush it under the rug and yeah. just carry on. But um, processing is a form of healing. Yeah. And talking is a form of healing. Yeah, and I'm very open. Like, I, every single person in my life knows exactly how I feel and where I stand at any one time. Which is... Um, and it, that's my comfort is people knowing me and truly knowing me and I can't lie I can't keep secrets I just have to tell everyone how I feel but I am definitely more I get more satisfaction from being doing things for other people than people doing things for me so when I talk to people if I'm feeling stressed or anxious sometimes it doesn't always make me feel better because I'm, I feel like I don't want to you know like it just feels like not right to like 
put it all, put things on other people. But I guess I also have to learn that I have to put myself in other people's shoes and be like, well, they might be givers as well. Mm. They might actually really appreciate that for me as a friend, that they can do something for me and it might make them feel good. So then I'm like, well, then I'm doing something for someone else. <laughs> you know? That, yes. I try, I'm trying, yeah, because I'm, I feel like a strength of mine is empathy and I feel like I can really, I do have an ability to put myself in other people's shoes. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I just have to, again, have to pause and be like, okay, who are my friends or who are the people in my life who actually really enjoy helping other yes. people as well and I lean on them that's a huge lesson that's actually something i have had to learn with letting my guard down with my friends because i've always been the one to hold space and help the other person mm. and it's actually been a form of protection i yeah. haven't wanted to show people how i truly feel i want to help them yeah i want to give to them and when i realized it was one time with best friend i was like I just need to share this what's going on with me and afterwards she said thank you so much for being honest like I am grateful for the opportunity to be able to help you yeah because you never let anyone help you yeah yeah <laughs> people do mm. um it also when you are vulnerable with people it gives them permission to be more vulnerable with you and a deeper relationship can grow from there yeah exactly yeah mm. okay so Moving into your early 20s, mm-hmm. you were going through that phase of being surrounded by the Otago University lifestyle, which was a lot of partying, a lot yep. of drinking, a lot of drugs. Yeah. Uh, what would you tell that girl now? To be honest, I don't think I'd change it because I think I would tell, I would tell her, like, good on you, get it out. Um, I never did anything. I never um, drank to the point of blacking out I never did anything that put myself at risk um I definitely had a lot of fun um but I also definitely actually showed a lot of self-control um I I remember um because you know just drinking every night of the week it's quite hectic and I I can't I just can't my body just like no because I was still obviously I've just come out of being like an athlete so um I remember one night I was dating a guy who lived a few streets over and the girls were going, we're going to drink tonight. And I was like, I just can't drink. So I was like, I'm going to go over to Matt's place and then I will meet you guys out. And what I did is I went outside the front door and I waited two minutes and then I went straight back into my room and locked the door and turned my phone off. And I was like, oh, I was going to have a really early night. And then the next morning they're like, where were you? texting you and I was like sorry like I must have like lost track of time you were like a closet nana oh my god I was (laughs) I was like so I actually did like there were so many things that I looked back and were like good like decisions like making those decisions at 18 and 19 and I know it was probably um not the right way to go about it but to be honest I couldn't be bothered being judged and I knew I was doing the right thing and I knew that that's what I wanted to do and I didn't really care so I just couldn't be bothered with the drama of it and was like, I'm just going to make some choices for me. And mm. That's incredible that you had those boundaries at such a young age. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I mean, I love a good time. I love going out drinking. I love partying. I still do now. Um, it's very few and far between, but I still enjoy it. Um, but yeah, it's just like I definitely knew where my boundaries were. Mm-hmm. And I think I've always known where my boundaries are, especially with drinking. Yeah. 
So, how old were you when you went on The Bachelor? I was 23. So that was pretty soon after you got back to Auckland and had had a couple of years of study. Yeah. What was your decision behind choosing to go onto the show? There honestly was no logic behind it. My mum was like, you should do it. Just like fill in the application to see what happens. And honestly, it was so fast. I ended up getting told later that I was the first cast onto the show. Um, it was like, sent in the application, day after was a phone call, day after was a face-to-face interview which they pretty much told me then and there that I was on um, and then confirmed the day after. So it was all within a week that it all kind of happened. Um, And that was probably, it's hard to remember, but maybe like November. um, And we weren't filming until January. Mm. So I was kind of like, okay, that's all done, I'm on it. And I kind of really forgot about it until after summer or after New Year's and Christmas and stuff. Um, And then it was like, oh shit. I have to like move into a house without my phone, without anyone I know. How long was the series filmed for? Um, I think I was there for like, I want to say like seven weeks or eight weeks. Okay. Yeah. And so were you nervous? Um, no. I don't really get nervous. Yeah, I don't really get nervous. It's weird. I don't get nervous. I just kind of take things as they come. Um, when I first got there, um, it was interesting because like they picked this dress out for me that I was like, oh my god, absolutely not. Like, do not want to wear that. But I also didn't want to be rude because there was stylists and stuff. So I was very polite and kind of just sussing it out. But I was literally like, there's no way this guy's gonna pick me in this dress. Like, honestly, I was like, and I'm like, my personality. Like, you can see what I'm wearing right now. Like, I'm very much a tomboy. And it was like this like mint green lace thing. And I was like. Oh, so you had no control of what you were wearing through well, the whole show? I was watching other girls be quite, like, bratty about what they were wearing, and I was just like, oh, nah, like, you don't want to make that impression with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of wanted to just get comfortable first, and I was like, oh, well, if I go home because of a bloody dress, then he's obviously, like, superficial, I don't want to date him anyway. Um, That's a good point. I think it would be hard, I know, personally. But it just wasn't me, you know? Yeah, and you want to feel confident. Yeah. Like, you're on TV, you're there to meet a guy. You don't yeah. want to feel like you're in the ugliest dress. Oh, my God, no. And I was just, yeah, it was, I just remember on the first night feeling like, what is this? Like, I'm just all dolled up and, like, yeah. yeah. I always remember when I see an episode of The Bachelor and I saw a few episodes of the most recent series, the girls always looked absolutely incredible and I thought whoever their stylist and their makeup team are are really like working it yeah I'm sure do they get used to your style as the show goes on um so you always get provided like the evening dresses so that's like them and as the show went on I definitely was a bit more like no I want to wear that that's me mm-hmm. that's not me I need to like represent myself and if yeah. that comes across as me not being grateful not being like you know well you're just gonna have to deal with that because I can't keep trying to present myself like this dolled up lacy Barbie doll thing I'm just not that um but yeah like obviously on all the activities it's all your own style and clothes and stuff and so it made me relax a little bit because I could just wear my you know shorts and a singlet and my runners and not have to Mm. try and be but yeah they had this funny thing about me always having my hair straight and my hair is actually like I brushed my curls up today but my hair is actually really curly and I remember one morning we were all getting our hair and makeup done and I was like, I'm just not in the mood. So I somehow managed to avoid it. I did my own makeup. 
And then I got on camera somehow with my hair like in this wild afro. And I was just like for a couple of scenes. And the amount of comments I got on social media being like, look at your hair, is that what it's like? And I'm like, oh yeah. I forgot that the whole show so far, I've just had this nice straight sleek hair. Interesting. Um, and it's actually people like, are very observant. I know. Sort of thing as well. Yeah, and I just had it like in this like kind of half up, half down like messy bun thing, and it was like so curly because it was middle of summer and it was humid, and everyone was like, "I can't believe your hair looks like that." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot that I did those two scenes. I snuck past hair and makeup for those two scenes." crazy that's their world of tv isn't it and people yeah. do notice everything so what was the first moment when you went holy crap there are so many people who are watching me right now um it was when like the first episode um because i got a lot of airtime on the first episode the first week of episodes um because i got the first rose from a group date um and yeah it was it was like oh, I, I just look back on it and be like I was not expecting any of that mm. at all um, and I thought I liked attention but I don't <laughs> I thought I would enjoy it I thought I would embrace it more so than enjoy it but yeah it was quite full on what did you not like? I don't know people like talk, talking about me I, actually, to be fair I had not many negative things said. I was, um, everyone was really, really positive. Probably the only negative comments that I got was that I was really clingy. Um, but I think that was just because we spent a lot of time together. Like I got quite a lot of one-on-one time and I got a lot of air time. So it might have appeared as though I was taking up a lot of his time. But I think that's just the way it was edited. Um, that's the other thing. And because I got, I got it was the first kiss as well. So really. Um, everyone was like oh she's really full on and I'm like it's just how it's happened oh oh wait ask to kiss me so I'm like why is everyone saying and all you want to do is reply and be like I'm not actually clingy that's not how it was and defend yourself yeah but you just there's no point it just makes people comment more because they know that you're going to respond so I just have to be like "Mm." interesting did they have any sort of support on the show that allowed you to kind of deal with everything that was going on because it's quite a yeah. quite a different scenario to be thrown into with yeah. how many girls? There's 20 of us at the beginning, 22 or something. 20 girls fighting for the one guy yeah. or and winning, trying to win competitions and yeah. get his attention. You've got a limited amount of time to spend with it. Yeah. Was there a group of people on the show or one person that kind of offered counselling or support? We had um, chaperones, which lived with us in the house, and they were girls that were like around our age. So I actually leaned on them quite a lot. Um, their names are Laura and Tyler. And um, I, I depended on them quite a lot if I needed them. Um, but once we started, once it was like final four and we were in Australia, they didn't come. And I really kind of... Needed them. Yeah. Because it got to the point where, like, Matilda and I were, were, like, besties in the house the whole way through. We shared a room together the whole way through. Mm-hmm. We had just us two in the towel room, room um, when she broke her arm. Like, I went to hospital with her. Like, we were really close. But it just got weird for us both in the, when it got down to the final thing. Because it was like, we didn't want it to be weird. Uh-huh. But everyone was making it weird. But we were actually all good. Yeah. But everyone was making it weird and they kept separating us and separating us and Alicia and... 
and you just felt you're like oh shit now I'm sharing a room on my own this is weird that's hard do you think firstly did you expect to really like us when you went on to the show uh, no not really because I'm quite picky um, so no I didn't did you like it did you end up wanting to win it to, because you liked him so much yeah 100% mm. I mean I think everyone who watched the show saw how emotionally invested I was mm. in a relationship with him so mm. um, and like I say I'm an open book everyone knows where they stand with me and that was no different on the show like I think Art knew exactly where I stood all the girls knew exactly where I stood the whole of New Zealand knew exactly where I stood on the, <laughs> on the whole thing so I think everyone saw by the look on my face on the last episode that I was not expecting any of that. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I didn't expect any of to have all those feelings, but yeah, that just happened. It was organic and natural. Yeah. And that's obviously why you it came down to your Matilda, because you both were so genuinely... Yeah. I'm sure all the girls were, yeah. but you were just so, so genuinely invested in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what were the hardest parts of being on the show? Um, a lot of it was pretty easy for me. Um, the hardest parts were probably because you could share with Art how you felt, but he couldn't really do it back because it's just not fair. Um, so that was quite hard, like trying to read someone. Um, and also, like, I don't know, like, I didn't really back myself. Like, I kept expecting... In the first few weeks, I didn't back myself. Once I got towards the end, I definitely did. Um, but yeah, it was like I just didn't like. There were so many beautiful and like amazing girls on the show, and it's quite funny how like vulnerable you feel when there's heaps of like amazing people around you. Mm. Like there wasn't anyone who was like a dropkick. Everyone mm. was had like really amazing stories and backgrounds and. Yeah, it's just like quite weird. Did you go into it wanting, thinking you would get so far as you did? No, I didn't go into it thinking I'd get as far as I did, but probably week three or four, I was like, I'm gonna be at the end. A minute to win it. Yeah, well, I just knew. You just know when you've got like a connection with someone, and then, yeah, I kind of was like, holy shit, this, this is like quite intense. You know, like the whole situation. I was like, oh, I'm actually quite invested in that. So tell me about the last day of being on the show when you had to, you knew it was down to you and Matilda and you're going to go up against her and you're going to find out today whether you've made it or not. Yeah. What was it like? Oh, it was quite horrible. That was quite like probably the worst day because you just like, just, you just don't know which way it's going to go. It's a huge deal as well because your last six weeks have been leading up to that Yeah, point. yeah. And you're kind of on your own for the day like leading up to it as well. So you're just like left with your own thoughts a little bit. So I was like, yeah. And you don't know who's going to go. For, you don't know the order that you're walking out in. So you don't know if they've already been or... If you're going okay. first, you just don't know. Things. They just pull you, you out. You just walk out, and, you're and like, you have no idea what's happened before that. No. Okay, and so tell me about how when Art announced who he had chosen. I was really shocked. Um, yeah, I was just really surprised. But then, and I actually like regret how I kind of my first initial feeling. My first initial feeling was, oh, of course, it's not me. Like, when is it ever me? When is it ever me? When do I ever... I, haven't, I hadn't had a relationship that was really serious. With a lot of boys I've dated cho chose other people. 
So I was like, well, of course it's happened. And now I, I feel bad for thinking like that because oh, I had no reason to feel like that. I had no reason to feel like that. It was just like, hey, it's judging two people. Someone's going to have to be let down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's so true. And I think when you're in that position of vulnerability and rejection, our worst fears come out at yeah. that moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's not nice to be rejected. And then I cried on TV and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, it's going to be like, I remember walking off and just bursting into tears. And then I was like, oh, God, that's going to go on TV. But then I was like, oh, fuck it. Like, that's what you really That's felt. how I felt. I was gutted. Like, at the time, I was obviously gutted. So... Yeah. Do you think in the months after that moment, did that affect you in your life? Um, um, not a little bit. So I didn't tell my friends what happened because how do you even explain all of that in like one sitting? How do you even like sit down and go, okay, so day one yeah. and then explain like what happens from then. So I was like, I'd rather them just watch it because then that just says everything that happened. Mm-hmm. And so I just let all my friends watch it um, and then obviously debrief after it all happened. But yeah, I, I, like I said, I did a lot of growing in my early 20s. So I was quite mentally tough. Mm-hmm. I was quite like, I felt like I had, I was in the best place I could have been when I went on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I just, I just handled it. Like I still like, had really still um, good healthy conversations with Art Matilda like we were all still really supportive of each other and um, yeah it was just like a really like it could it couldn't have gone any better afterwards there was things I wanted to address and had all these questions but to be honest a lot of them I was like there's no point opening cans of worms for, for reasons that aren't going to change like what's the point um, so yeah it was really, it was really good. Like I said, the only hard part was like the last week or two, and then honestly, even after the show, it was like a big weight had been lifted off my shoulders. There was no pressure on me or pressure on the situation anymore. Um, if anything, there was all the pressure on uh, Matilda because they had to prove their relationship and show everyone that they that had made the right decision. You know, so yeah. um, any relationship is hard, let alone having that added pressure I know so like I didn't envy them at all in that situation because I kind of like got off and I was like the single one and like you know (laughs) not a care in the world like I've got nothing to worry about now like you know I'm just gonna move moving on with my life moving on with your life with basically half New Zealand knowing who you are now yeah so you had that kind of uh, leaving the show you it was back to reality but it was also a very different reality yeah, it was very, very different. There were situations where, like, night... I actually stopped going out for a while because there was situations at nightclubs where there was, like, a scuffle between a few people and because I was at the same club, social media the next day, it's like, oh, I saw Danny Robinson in a fight. I'm like, oh, my God, I was, like, on the other side of the bar, but they just pick someone they recognise and be like, oh, they were in a fight. And it's just like, oh, I can't be bothered. Yeah. Like, just attention like that. And then, obviously... I was kind of dating around, um, oh my god, not dating around, I um, was dating people, um, or even just like going on a date or things and people seeing and mm, talking. That would be a huge one, because New Zealand would feel like they were now invested in your romantic life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you get all sorts of people coming out of the woodworks asking you on dates, you get people who are probably quite famous themselves like now pay attention to you mm. because I don't know why a lot of them go because we saw how amazing you were on TV it's like yeah okay it's because you 
want to be like with the runner-up of the, from Chip from the Bachelor. So totally. I could see through quite a lot of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting like probably two years afterwards. It's definitely died down now. Um, I only really get people recognising me if it's like a music some reason at like music festivals or concerts or something I have people come up to me and be like oh can I get a photo and I'm like yeah of course but um, not really anymore so it was three years ago now was it was it four four years ago nearly five okay because I'm 27 now uh huh yeah so it would be yeah it would be four years ago in it's January it's such a huge thing to go through in your early 20s mm. okay so so when you reflect back on your life so far what have been the really big pivotal turning points that have allowed you to get to where you are now? Um, definitely my friend passing away was a pivotal moment for me. Um, going through that year probably when I was 21, 22 of kind of figuring out why I had issues or why I had certain feelings. So like talking with um, a, like a therapist really. Um, and kind of also admitting to my like family that I wasn't really okay and I hadn't been and I hadn't dealt with what had happened to me. Um, Do you think your family knew or could see or they had no idea? I think they knew that, I think they, they knew because I was definitely like, I did play up a little bit like after it happened and again I was drinking a lot and kind of partying a lot but I think like they had never even had an experience like that and like it was hard for them as well like when especially when Amelia passed away because they were like I actually didn't know the right thing to do or how to deal with it they just knew they just had to be there and my parents are like the most amazing parents and I can tell them anything and always have um, but again I guess I just didn't really want to admit or I didn't actually know what was wrong so there was nothing really to say um, I knew I was sad um, but I didn't yeah, I didn't have an explanation for like my behaviour or... A lot of the time it's all subconscious. Yeah. Like, subconscious things playing out that we don't... We don't actually know until we have that external, like you said, talk therapy, which is yeah. something that does work or... Um, well, I did a lot... I did um, NLP therapy as well, mm -hmm. so neuro-linguistic programming. So um, that actually helped me kind of like what, like what it's for, is like rewire your brain into not having such like negative associations with things um do you find did you find the nlp helped you yeah massively i had um this sounds really funny now that i'm saying it but i had quite a debilitating fear of birds and mm -hmm. she actually connected it all to around not dealing with um amelia's passing wow. um i found something to attach an anxiety to that in my mind was rational um, but I had all this pent up anxiety and that needed to come out and I found something that was in my everyday life that I could blame it on in a way wow. so birds were the thing so every time like it got to the point where I wouldn't leave my house because I thought the birds outside of the house were like going to get me like it was actually psychotic a little bit um, to the point where my dad was like I was like can you come pick me up and he's like why and I'm like because there's these fucking birds outside my house and I can't get rid of them. And he's like, you sound like a nutcase. You need to sort that out. That's incredible that she yeah. was able to pinpoint that mm -hmm. to something that had happened when you were 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is 
just a crazy example of how there can be things happening in our mind that we have no conscious awareness of, mm. but that are manifesting around us and we don't know why. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah, so that was um, quite a, a crazy moment. I'm still a little bit scared of it. Well, I'm still a lot, but not to the point where I think I might die because of birds like coming near me. Um, but if one like swoops past my head, I will like throw someone in front of me and be like, <laughs> get that thing away from me. Like, I'm still not 100% okay with the birds, but um, my body doesn't feel like I'm in danger as yeah. such. Fight yeah. or flight mode. Yeah. So, when she did the NLP, what was the tools she used to help kind of ease the effects of your reaction to birds? <laughs> so, she, um, she got me to, it was quite weird, it was like, sit in a movie theatre and you're in the projection box and you're watching yourself watch the screen. So don't watch the screen, watch yourself watch the screen. So I was like, oh God, okay. Yeah. So it's quite a lot of like, you have to use your imagination a little bit. Um, and then it was like, go to a point in your childhood where you were really happy and then fast forward to a point now where you're really happy um, and imagine that the movie just fast forwards through the middle. Yeah. Um, and then there was other techniques like I had to watch it black and white and then I had to watch it in colour and it was just these really odd like what well, I found them odd kind of scenarios but then it was quite funny I walked out of it going that was fucking weird mm. and um, walked like down the steps to my house walked up through the front door got to the kitchen started making a coffee and then I was like oh, there was a dead bird by the front door mm. and I just walked straight past it that's incredible and I was like and then I started going oh like started like feeling like I was going to get really anxious and I had to be like no like you that was fine like you didn't care like that there was a bird just sitting dead on your doorstep yeah. like if that was before I would have sat in my car and waited for someone to come and get it yeah. and like not got out of the car wow so that NLP it sounds a lot like kind of hypnotherapy or yeah but it's like you're aware so it's not yeah. like you're you're not aware of what's going on like you're fully conscious during the whole thing so yeah tricking your mind into thinking things have happened differently in yeah. order to kind of help eliminate those anxieties that come up from yeah. past trauma. Really interesting. Okay, so what do you do now when you're in a rut? What are your practices for pulling yourself out of a place where you feel like sticky or anxious or yeah. stressed? Yeah, so exercise is a big thing for me. Um, obviously I'm not very mobile at the moment so it's quite hard for me but exercise yes I've just had foot surgery mm -hmm. um, so exercise is a big thing for me like that is like my stress reliever um, release some endorphins get the blood pumping around your body get oxygen pumping around your body clears your mind like quite well like does it for me it's high intensity exercise for me mm -hmm. is what um, yeah is kind of helps me get out of those ruts. Also, um, Wim Hof. So Logan and I practice a lot of Wim Hof. So um, both cold water immersion and the breathing technique. Mm. So cold water is an amazing, it's an amazing tool for anyone and anyone can do it. Um, by putting yourself in cold water, your body is like, fuck this. Like if it's an ice bath or if it's a freezing shower, the first thing your body does is wants to turn it off. But once you get past that first 10, 20 seconds of like wanting to get out of it, um, you start and you start breathing through it, you start getting used to it, 
and then after you know I'll do like a one minute cold shower I'll turn it off and you've just overcome something that at the beginning was really really hard so what it does is it builds resilience um, and it might make things in everyday life that would normally tick you off actually not tick you off anymore because your threshold your resilience threshold is actually a lot higher so if you can go and plunge yourself into a freezing cold water you feel like you've overcome like a mountain and it just makes you feel like you can conquer more mm. mentally because you put yourself under mental and physical stress but then you come out of it going I did that and you've conquered something for the day so and the more and more you do it you start realizing how much easier it gets mm -hmm. um, and how much like it doesn't affect you anymore and then your threshold rises again totally and then all these stresses that used to like make you feel a certain way don't anymore so that's what cold water does the breathing technique is a great way to um, lower your pH levels in your digestive system it's good for um, I guess clearing any blockages like in your brain from like flooding it with oxygen it kind of like just flushes all, the, all your um, brain connections and makes you feel quite um, makes your mind feel so much clearer and more open. Um, it's also incredibly calming. Um, and yeah, that is something that we'll do um, a couple times a week as well, just do a really good breathing session. And I love that you guys do that together. As yeah. Well. I think that's great having that kind well, of Logan got me into it. Yeah. Amazing. Because he knows, like, he thought, he's like, this would be so good for, your, like, for stress and... Like, what are you saying? My stressful time. <laughs> Tell me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, that was... He got me into it because he um, he thought it would be really good for me, and it, yeah. and it was. Yeah. yeah, amazing. My first session, actually, I did the workshop, and while I was doing the breathing, I burst into tears. In the breathing? Yep. Mm -hmm. Like, came out of it, like, bawling my eyes out. And I was like, I don't know why I'm crying. And um, Nigel, the instructor, was like that's okay it's just like sometimes it just releases like heaps of emotions and um like weight on your chest or on your shoulders that you're feeling it just kind of gets it all out and yeah. you want to cry cry absolutely i find that that one love technique is very releasing and it can be different mm. every single time you yeah. do it for anyone that is interested in learning more about this method the one half and the ice bath nigel does have some workshops coming up really soon yes. in October yes so I'll link that in the show notes and I've actually done the training as well and I love ice baths I'm yep. a big fan of ice baths yeah um you were saying just before we started this episode that you since having your foot surgery you the healing that was supposed to happen in six weeks happened in three weeks is mm. that right yeah and you were saying because your body is in a state where you've got so much oxygen in it, mm. it was able to heal so much faster being yeah. in such an anti-inflammatory and alkaline state. Yeah. And I have no doubt that that's to do with your Wim breathing and your yeah. ice bathing. Yeah, definitely. Um, that has a lot to do with it. Um, I think my fitness level has a lot to do with it, like making sure I was really fit before I went for my surgery. Um, definitely put me in the best position to heal fast. Um eating well and um, I also drink kangen water which is high alkaline water so that helps the digestive you, system where do you buy that from? I have a machine amazing, yeah. where do you get the machine from? Um, it's called it's called kangen water machine um, if you google it you can see them. they're very expensive, they're about $6,000 for a machine oh, wow. but what it, it, the health benefits you get from it um, because it is so anti-inflammatory and like I said a lot of my health problems have been around my digestive system um, and having 
high alkaline, um, drinking high alkaline water um, can actually massively improve your stomach's digestion. So when you, your stomach has to obviously be acidic to break down food, and when you're drinking high alkaline water, um, it forces your stomach to um, produce its acids in a more effective way. Um, so your, your stomach actually works, um, it works harder to get break down all the nutrients and all the, the waste in your stomach. So people with like leaky gut and stuff, it's really good for. Um, it also, having such a high alkaline water go through your digestive system also makes it easier for the nutrients to absorb through into your bloodstream mm-hmm. a lot easier. Because um, I've had massive kind of problems with hydration. Mm-hmm. Um, I drink so much water, but I was having problems actually absorbing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, yeah, I've always been just slightly dehydrated like my whole life, I think. So like it causes migraines and stuff like that. Um, okay. Yeah. And you found that since drinking that keg of water, mm. it's helped with your acid reflux? Yep. I don't get indigestion, I don't get acid reflux. Um, yeah, it's just my stomach just works a lot better, functions mm. a lot better. It also helps with inflammation. Mm. Um, yeah, so you, ca- you can't change the pH of your blood, but you can influence the pH level of what goes through your digestive system. So um, I think people get confused being like, alkaline water doesn't affect, because your body is always a constant pH, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But having a high alkaline water obviously go through your digestive system makes it more absorbent. I see. Okay, cool. I'm gonna link that in the show notes. And I know that there's other ways of actually being able to access alkaline water. Mm -hmm. So I'll pop those down in the show notes too. So what is your food philosophy? I don't really have one. Um, I'm very um, I'm kind of like the 80-20 rule. Mm-hmm. 80% of the time I eat really well and 20% of the time I treat myself. Um, so I just like good food because I know how it makes me feel. And I think when you're an active person like I am who exercises more normally when I'm not injured, um, you know, five to seven times a week, you can't eat shit food you just feel like shit. You are what you eat is the truest um, saying there is. I agree. Um, and so I, I kind of have a set way of eating that I know that I like. Um, Which is what? I have smoothies for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you like in your smoothies? So I change it. So it's always like banana. I love bananas. I eat like two or three of them a day. I'm just obsessed with bananas. My puppy's obsessed with bananas too, so we share bananas. But I don't want to eat a whole one. Um, so I put bananas, I put an almond milk in there, um, frozen berries, um, and then I change it up between, hun- I put honey in it. Um, my dad has his own bees, so it's like a manuka, kanuka blend. Oh, so you're I getting put- so many beautiful anti-fungal and anti antibiotic? No. Probiotic. Probiotic, yeah. Um, especially if it's grown locally. Yeah. So it's on my dad's property out in Parimarimo. So um, I put that in there because, again, it's anti-inflammatory as well. Um, and then I change between, I really like cacao. It has a lot of benefits to it. So if I feel like a chocolate smoothie, <laughs> which helps curb any sort of sweet cravings. Mm. It's really funny. As I've gotten older, I like want sweet food. I never used to like mm. sweet food. Now I'm like, crave all the time. Um, or I'll do like um, an acai or some sort of um, 
green powder. There's always some sort of like um, superfood. Yeah, superfood or an antioxidant kind of that I put in there, and that'll kind of make the base of what kind of flavour smoothie I'm going to make. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have dairy, so that's mm-hmm. why I use almond milk. Again, it just doesn't sit well with my digestion. Um, I can have a little bit of it now, I find. Like if I have cheese or something, my body deals with it a lot better, I think, because I cut it out for so long. Yeah. It's kind of repaired itself a little bit. Um, so I have that for breakfast. Um, lunch is always pretty similar. It's like rice, some sort of carbs, like rice or kumra with like either tuna or chicken and veggies. Awesome. Do you take your lunch to work every day? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, my work also has a um, healthy eating program. So we have free um, bone broth soups um, that everyone can have. So oh, I sometimes that. eat that for work. And we have like paleo breads um, to have with, and we get fruit boxes and stuff at work. But the lunch is provided if you want it. Um, I also quite like wraps. I eat a lot of wraps because it's like something quick I can make that's still healthy. Um, lots of people are really scared of carbs, but I'm actually like a very carb focused. I was just about to say that I love that you are not afraid to incorporate rice and kumara. Oh no, I eat like carbs for every meal. So like this banana and the fruit in my smoothies. Yeah. Um, I'll always have like a carb for lunch or I just can't function. There's lots of studies that show if you work at a computer that your body burns glycogen quite fast, so like fast uh, fast sugars. So you need to be able to, if you, if you don't use carbs, if you don't eat good carbs, you end up craving like sugar, like the fast, fast sugars. And you get that three o'clock. That high GI. Yeah, well, yeah, because you burn quite a lot of glycogen when you're on the computer apparently um, and then afternoon tea it's like whatever's around usually peanut butter with crackers or um, a piece of fruit again um, I need something crunchy so like a popcorn or like rice crackers or something like that yeah. um, and then dinner it's usually just we eat a lot of steak a lot of salmon a lot of chicken stir fries yeah. with noodles or mokuma or potatoes or I love that. That's so balanced. It yeah. sound when you're saying that, it sounds so sustainable. I yeah. feel like that's something that you could just go yeah. further on. But it's like whatever I feel like. Like I ate spaghetti bolognese last night because yeah. I felt like that. Um, I don't like ever restrict myself. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. Because it's just not ha- yeah, it's not healthy to do that. If mm-hmm. I eat spaghetti bolognese, I'm not going to feel like eating anything really heavy the next morning. Like I mm-hmm. had a smoothie for breakfast. Well, I always have a smoothie, but like... Yeah, I don't want to eat it every day. Yeah. Totally. And then when you, because you do have it, you don't get to the point where you're like, I need carbs or I need spaghetti and you yeah. just go and eat a yeah. whole ton of it because you haven't let yourself have it for so exactly. long. Exactly. Though, to be honest, I always feel like I need carbs. Like, I'm constantly like, <laughs> I need carbs. But I think I just burn through it really fast. Like, I think the exercise and I also think thinking all day, yes. I just chew through it. Yeah, I don't think we appreciate how much energy we actually burn mentally sometimes. Yeah, no, you don't. And also, like, it's about portions as well. That's right. Like, you got you can eat all of everything you want. You can eat spaghetti bolognese every night if you want, but just portion it yeah. to what's suitable for your body. It's the simplest form of nutrition is energy in and energy out. Mm-hmm. If you eat more energy than you burn, you put on weight. If you eat less energy than you burn, you lose weight. So that's like in the simplest form. So if you're 
wanting to eat spaghetti bolognese but you're like oh I'm putting on weight it's because you're eating too much of it it's not because you're eating spaghetti bolognese mm. you're just you need to cut your portion size down mm. what are your self-care practices when you just need some time to go slowly sometimes Logan and I pretend we're hungover on Sunday and just lie on the couch all day even that if we're not that is a self-care practice is it? Yeah. <laughs> like should we just pretend we're hungover and just lie on the couch all day Definitely, that's kind of letting, it's, yeah. I feel like that is one of the most important things, is just stopping. Yeah, I, yeah, so I, I think that's what I do, is like, sounds like so bad, but I just love trash TV. I love like watching shit, because it's just mindless, mm-hmm. and it's like quite relaxing for me, and Logan and I can't see why I like it so much, but sometimes I just want to watch Kardashians on the couch, and then it just relaxes me, because it's just garbage. And it has nothing to do with my life, and it's got no meaning, and it's not intense, and it's not hectic, it's not sad, and it's not full on, it's just... You can just zone out. Yeah, and I don't even think I really watch it, I think I just lie there and look at it. It's interesting, you're obviously like, your body is unwinding when you're doing that. It's like a Mm. way for you to go, Yeah. just releasing everything from the week, everything from the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are your personal beliefs around spirituality? Um, I am quite a spiritual person. Um, I'm not religious at all. I haven't grown up in a religious household. Um, my dad has always taught me to believe in myself rather than a figurative person. Um, and I think there's a place for religion because it's, it helps a lot of people, um, but it's just never been part of my life spiritual um my i guess where i stand on the spiritual level is i 100 percent believe in reincarnation i believe in afterlife i believe in um energy that's beyond physical um i yeah i've had a few experiences in my life that has made me like kind of feel presence of not physical beings so um, I also believe like in coincidences, mm-hmm. synchronicity. Yeah, so when people think that, oh, that's weird that this person's here when I'm here, it's like, is it? <laughs> or like, you know, were you communicating on some other level that the dolphins are all in tune with? And <laughs> you know, you think about like, you know, because like you think about, I find dolphins fascinating because they all communicate on like a higher medium than or a channel that we that they don't. Well, that we don't. We can't interpret. No, yeah. but how do we know that we're not doing that as well? Because we're not tapping into our full brain. Yeah. There's so much of your brain that's not tapped into. So how do we know that? You know, when you go to teach your friend and they teach you first, it's like, how do you know you weren't just vibing on this channel that you're both not realizing you're vibing on? Exactly. So I believe in all of that. Yeah. I think you said that actually. <laughs> So, do you have ways of tapping in to that kind of source energy you spoke about? Like meditation, or does it come to you when you're working out? Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any way to tap into it, actually. It's more like in moments of when I'm, I'm quite like intuitive. I feel like I can feel energy um, in a room with other people. I'm a very extroverted person, so I rely on other people's energies to feel my energies and if their cups are empty mine like drains mm. and if, if other people's cups are full mine fills up interesting um 
it's the only way I can describe it. So like if I'm in a really good mood, I'm heading to work and I walk into the office and I feel everyone's energy is really low, like mine just goes mm. and I can't help it. So I do feel like I'm like I'm very affected by other people's energy. Um, and I feel that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can tell by sitting in front of someone what if they're in a good mood or if they're in a bad mood. Because mm-hmm. um, you feel it in your own energy field. Yeah. Like my whole body changes when I'm around someone who's feeling a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. So what does intuition actually feel like for you? I think it's just like a really strong sense of knowing or a really strong sense of security or um, safeness. Like if I have, if I feel like intuitive about something or if I think something's going to happen or if I have a feeling come on that I feel really strongly about, that like that's what it feels like for me. It's like really certain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that that connection to your intuition has helped you make better decisions? 100%. I rate myself as a decision maker <laughs> and um, I like the fact that I make decisions quite easily um, quite quickly and quite with a lot of confidence um, yeah it's definitely helps me with that because you know, I can only describe it as a vibe like I know mm-hmm. I get a vibe for a situation quite quickly um, and it makes me make decisions quite quickly do you think the more that you have tuned into your intuition over your life, it's become stronger? Yeah, probably. Um, I think also just knowing yourself better as well, and then also experiences. So like, that decision went wrong, what have we learned from that? And that influences your next decision. Mm-hmm. So I think it's partly in, like partly intuitive and partly just due to experiences and knowing how and remembering and learning. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot to do with self care. So how mm-hmm. you look after yourself, your kind of like mental and emotional hygiene. Yeah. Um, and when you've got such intense practices like you do, you're almost a prime example of how to really balance a balanced approach to taking care of yourself. Yeah. But then tied with having those lower points of your life where you have to learn a lot about yourself in a very short space of time or you have to go through some really hard times to go okay who really am I amongst all of this chaos it's kind of this combination of two and in the middle you meet where you've got this kind of understanding of who you are and where you're going but you allow intuition to lead your decisions yeah exactly yeah I feel so we're running out of time so my last question is for anyone who is wanting to start making some positive changes in their life Mm -hmm. whether that's starting their own thing like you have with your business or even just feeling better on a day to day Mm -hmm. what would you tell them I think you need to um, check yourself so what I always like to do or I've been in a couple of situations at the moment where people haven't made good decisions or people aren't in a good place and I look at what they might be doing wrong or what they could do better and I think being aware of your needs and your um, boundaries and your morals is really really important so I would say like create your own little personal checklist of like what's right for you so I start with like what your morals are like what's important to you write down what is really important to you write down what your boundaries are like what's over the line and what's within the lines 
um, and also write down like what your goals are so they could be um, a work goal or a personal goal but I think all three of those groups actually really align with wanting to make a better decision so um, if someone hurts you um, if someone does something wrong by you check where you, that stands with you morally check where that sits with your boundaries and check if they if that's influencing what where you're trying to be in your life and it just kind of creates a, a better sense of knowing yourself and being like this is actually where I stand on the situation and this is how I want to feel that's what I would say and it comes with work as well like does what you want to do align with your morals does it sit within your boundaries and does it um is it are you going to be able to achieve it like is this a clear goal that you can um, achieve so I think those three areas are really important and I think that there's a lot of people out there who don't know their boundaries or don't know what where their morals sit yeah um because it's quite a crazy world and um there's it's not traditional like it used to be there's a lot of um gray areas and you have to decide what sits well with you and what doesn't in this crazy world and actually just for me writing that down has helped me like um if it's friends friends relationships work like writing out my boundaries about what I can accept as a friend or a partner or a colleague and what I can't accept um makes a line a lot clearer about how you can deal with situations I love that that's a whole two hours of journaling yeah right there yeah (laughs) um I think boundaries are one of the quickest ways to start creating a better life for yourself. Yeah. Because sometimes it's really hard to make those first few changes and put your foot down. But once mm. you see the effect of that, yeah. how other people start honoring your boundaries, but when you start honoring your own boundaries, that's a form of self-care and you create so much more energy for mm-hmm. yourself and excitement for yeah. your life. Yeah. And I find people that cross your boundaries or cross other people's boundaries all the time don't actually know where they're set. Yeah. It's because you're not giving them direction to say, this is actually where the boundary is. Yeah. Probably shock them the first time, but once they see it, they'll respect it. Yeah. If they're worthy of being in your life. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. So thank much you. amazing wisdom. I feel like that's really tangible um, tools and techniques that even I'm going to do. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. So, <laughs> thank you. Is well, there anything you can add? No, that's it. That's all from me. Where can we find you? So you can follow me on Instagram at the real Dannygram. Um, and yeah, that's where I spill my life. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you got heaps out of this episode. And for anyone who is after those show notes, check them out either on my website, www.lovebyolivia.com or in the details in the podcast app. Thanks so much for joining. We'll see you next week.